can turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. Last fall, I started preaching through John's Gospel, and we've taken a couple of breaks here and there. Uh, But for the next couple of months, I want us to get back to the Gospel of John to see some more lessons and truths uh, from the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. And you may not remember, because I know it's been a while and you've probably slept since then, but I shared with you before that John gives us a purpose statement for his gospel. In chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. These are written mean these accounts of Jesus, these teachings of Jesus. He's saying, I wrote this gospel, these things about Jesus, so that you may believe that he is the Son of God. That was his purpose. He wants the people who read his gospel to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And not just to believe, because believing then brings about. Something happens in a person's life, he says in verse 31, and And that by believing, by believing in Jesus, he says, you may have life in his name. Now, when John refers to life, there are two elements of life. One is that we may have a full and abundant life. And Jesus talked about in his ministry that on earth, we may experience the fullness of what God has created and designed us to be and to do and experience in relationship with him. So that's one aspect of life that John speaks of that we experience by believing in Jesus. But the other is the eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. So he says that by believing, we may have life in his name. And so that's the goal, the target of John's gospel. And in John chapter four, we see this application to a person's life. And we meet a very normal a very average, a very typical human being in John chapter four. And I say that because this man did everything he could in his own power and in his own strength. And when he had exhausted his opportunities, his efforts, all that he could do in his own power, then this man came to Jesus. And when he did, when he came and he encountered Jesus, Jesus did the same thing in this man's life that we see him do over and over and over again throughout John's gospel. Jesus took his inadequate, uh, his, his misplaced, his, his immature faith, he took that inadequate faith and he transformed it into a saving faith, into a faith that believed in him as God's son. And we see this over and over again in John's gospel. People come to Jesus with the wrong motive, with the wrong uh, reason, with a inaccurate expectation or thought of what Jesus should do or how he should handle something. They come with all these improper motives and Jesus meets them where they are, but then moves them to where they need to be. And today, I hope and my prayer has been that you will encounter Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, he wants to meet you where you are, but he wants to move you where he wants you to be, where you need to be. If today you would hear and respond and believe in his name and his power to work in your life and your situation in whatever way, in whatever area you may need to experience him today. But, you know, I told you a little bit about this man that we meet who is a normal, uh, a normal person. And he does exactly what we still do today. We do everything possible to take care of things on our own, don't we? 
We try every resource, every connection. We seek wisdom in every venue, every avenue that we possibly can. And when we give up and we've done all that we can, we've reached the end of our rope, our wits end. We finally throw our hands up in the air and say, I give up. I quit. Jesus, I need you. God, come and do this in my life after we've done all that we can do. And my question is, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we wait and and only go to Jesus as a last resort instead of coming to him as a first resort? Taking that step to him before we get into our own strength and our own power because we're always going to wind up in our strength and our power defeated, not able to accomplish and do what we really desire to do. Only when we give up ourselves and empty of ourselves can we be filled with Christ and then begin to experience what he wants to do in our lives and through our, through our lives. So why don't we come to Jesus first? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is, is I hear a, a form of this quite often. Well, I don't want to bother God with my problems, with my issues. I mean, what's going on within me is so insignificant compared to what I see in other people's lives. Or, I mean, God's got world peace to deal with, you know, world hunger. So why would he be concerned about little old me and what's going on in my life? Well, I just want to remind you, scripture says God is interested in your life. God is concerned with the details and what's taking place in your life. We're the ones who say, well, God wouldn't want to be bothered with me. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, cast your cares, bring your anxieties, bring your worries, bring those to Christ and cast them upon him. It doesn't say just your big ones that God's most concerned with. It says yours, whatever they are. God has that concern and that compassion and that desire to meet those needs and to work in situations in your life, no matter matter how big or small you may think they are. But you know, a second thing that I think we run into sometimes is, is we, we tell ourselves, well, I got myself into this mess. You know, it, it's kind of, we feel ashamed to come to God and say, you know what, if I had listened to God in the first place, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So God wouldn't want to help me. He's going to say, well, you did it to yourself. You got yourself into this mess. Get yourself out of that mess. Again, where does the Bible say that? Now, we do have consequences to our actions and the choices and the decisions that we make, but the Bible calls us to come to God and to seek him and to allow him to work in our life, that he wants to do that. But, you know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, one of the biggest things is this. We feel like if we come to God... And we're, we fear that if we come to God and bring our issues and our concerns and, uh, and our problems to God, he may call us to make some changes in our lives. He may call us to give up some things, to stop doing some things that maybe did lead us down that path and get us in that situation. Or God may ask us to build some things into our lives and say, you know what? You're experiencing this because you're missing this and this and this. And if you want to experience all that I have in store for you, you need to build this, this, and this into your life. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to go through the effort and the work uh, of seeking after God, relying upon him, trusting in him, and depending upon him. We want to hang out in our comfort zone, and so we determine, well, because I don't want to make any changes, I'm going to hang out right here where I'm at so I can just do it my way. The man in John chapter 4 found himself at a point that he could no longer depend upon himself. He had no other resources. He finally made a decision and made a choice to come to Jesus. But he found himself when he did in a dilemma because he had faith in Jesus. He believed that Jesus could could do this, this thing that he was calling and he was coming to ask him to do. But he had his own plan of how Jesus would fix things. But you know what? Jesus didn't fix things the way he thought he should or the way he had planned. 
So he had a choice to make. Was he going to hold on to his plan and his idea and his way that Jesus should do this? Or was he going to step out in faith and take Jesus at his word and believe him to do the work and to answer the request and this, this petition that he brought before him? Well, let's look and see how this man responded. In John chapter 4, we meet a man and he comes to Jesus with a faith in crisis. This person comes to Jesus. He had a crisis in his faith in his life, which sought, which caused him to seek out Jesus. Verse 46 of John 4 says, so he came again to Cana in Galilee. This is Jesus coming to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Now, this was a miracle. People had heard about this miracle. So John reminds us that there was a reputation. People knew about Jesus because of this miracle that had been performed. And at Capernaum, Capernaum was a city that was uh, 20, 25 miles away from Cana. It's not in Cana, but it's in the city of Capernaum. There was an official whose son was ill. Now, the word for official here tells us that this man was likely, not certainly, but likely a military official for Herod Antipas because the word actually means a royal official. And so what we see here is that Jesus called people to believe in himself. I mean, Jesus went and sought people out and said, come believe in me, as John highlights in his gospel. And he did this in the same pattern and in the same way that Jesus would command his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to share the gospel with others. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that after you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's like a target. It's concentric circles. They were in Jerusalem and Judea was the region around that. And then Samaria was a little further out and into the ends of the earth. We see Jesus follow this same exact pattern in his own life. In John chapter three, he had met with Nicodemus who was a devout Jew there in Jerusalem. And he met and he told him that he must be born again. So Jesus presented the gospel to, to, the, to a devout Jew right there, just as he would tell the disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight, start in Jerusalem and Judea where the Jews are. And then to Samaria, and, and the Samaritans were, were Jewish heritage people, but they had intermarried with other people and other races around them. So devout Jews said, well, you guys aren't pure Jews because you've intermarried with, the, with these pagan, with, with these non-believing people. And so it, it's muddied your, your heritage and who you are. But Samaria was on the list. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And in the beginning of John chapter four, you may remember a while back, Jesus met and encountered the Samaritan woman. Remember this? He encountered the Samaritan woman woman who went back to the village and told people about Jesus and they gave their lives to Christ. So Jesus uh, met a devout Jew in Nicodemus, now the Samaritan woman. And here he meets with this royal official, a Gentile, a person probably of non-Jewish faith who worked for Herod, Herod Antipas, but who he shared the gospel with as he continued moving the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I have to pause right here in this story, just understanding this little bit of the context of what's taking place and ask you this and ask myself this, am I and are you being intentional as Jesus was about building bridges and seeking opportunity to share the gospel in your Jerusalem, in your Judea uh, and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth? Are you being intentional about reaching out and sharing the gospel with other people? Our mission statement says that we exist to lead people into a growing relationship 
with Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is the mission of our church is to share the gospel with those who need to believe. And we have four core values that kind of help focus us in uh, on our relationship, a growing relationship with Christ. And one of our four core values is that we witness as a way of life. Not that just that we witness occasionally, but that we witness as a way of life. And Jesus demonstrated this course of action in his own life, that in all that he did, everywhere he went with all peoples that he encountered, he invited them and gave them the opportunity to respond to the gospel. We should live our lives in such a way that our our antenna, our, our radar is always up, that we are constantly looking for opportunities to plant seeds and to share the gospel with other people. But the key to this is intentionality. You must be intentional. You must be alert. You must make a conscious, deliberate effort to be about sharing your faith. Because if you're not, Satan will distract you. And he will give you every excuse and every cause and every reason imaginable to not share your faith with other people if you are not intentional and deliberate about doing so. And you never know when your efforts to share the gospel are going to plant a seed that may bring someone to faith in Christ or may renew a faith in Christ within someone who has drifted, who has fallen away from them in their relationship and their walk with him. Several of our pastors uh, eat regularly at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, we go over there. We, we kind of like the hot wings, have good prices, and it's kind of our, our roving staff meeting. You know, we have an informal staff meeting at Buffalo Wild Wings on a regular basis. Well, as we're there, one of the things that we try to do on a regular basis is to ask our server and say, hey, we're going to pray for our meal here in just a few minutes. Is there anything that we can pray about for you today? Uh, oftentimes they'll say, no, we're good. But, but on numerous occasions, one of those servers has said, hey, would you pray for this? Would you remember this? And yeah, that, that's great if you would do that. And so one of the servers one week asked us to pray for something and we did during our prayer. Well, we were back in there several weeks later and this server made a point to come all the way across that restaurant to a section where she wasn't serving. She came over to our table to tell us what had happened in her life since that time that we had prayed for her over lunch. And she got tears in her eyes. She was emotional over what God had been doing and how he had been stirring uh, within her heart and to say thank you for, for thinking of me and for praying for me. I so appreciate that. And as we're in there now, she'll often come over and just say hey and stop in. But there's been a relationship building that's taken place and she has seen that power of God as we just have tried to be intentional and deliberate about planting seeds for the gospel and sharing opportunities uh, to, to, to tell about Christ in our actions and in our words. And if you are alert and you are attentive, you will absolutely be amazed at the number of opportunities that God will set before you and give you to plant seeds for the gospel and share the gospel with other people. And I want you to know that what we see here in John 4 is the same, uh, it still applies today, that in times of crisis, people are extra attentive they are extra alert and looking for answers uh, and looking for something to come in and deal with their life. And it is a great opportunity and time for you to share Christ and Christ's love in a time of crisis. When you know people are struggling, when you know things are going on, offer to pray for them. Such a simple thing. But to say to someone, whether it's a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, hey, is it okay if I pray for you about this? And if you have opportunity right there, don't wait and say, well, I'm going to do it later. Pray for them right there on the spot. It means so much 
to have people praying for you when things like that are taking place. And I have never had a person say, no, don't pray for me when, when I've discovered something's going on. I've never once had a person reject and turn down the opportunity to pray for them. And then follow up with them, send a card, an email, stop by their office, go to their house. Hey, how are things going? Follow up and see how you can continue to minister. And as Emerald says, if you want to kick it up a notch, you know, in your ministering to them in a time of crisis, take them a meal. Or if you say, ooh, taking them a meal may kind of hurt my witness for Christ because of my cooking skills or lack thereof, that's fine. Get them a gift card, all right? Get them a gift card to a restaurant. Hey, here's a meal on me. This way you know you'll live. Not eating my cooking may have been more dangerous for you. So, But that opportunity to to take that next step, to visit them in their home, to to go mow their lawn or, or pull weeds in their flower bed, whatever the case may be, but seek opportunities to share in those times of crises. That's what was happening here in John chapter four, this man was at a point of crisis in his faith because of his son. Look at verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. This man's son was sick and he could do nothing else to improve his condition. He had tried every bit of medical technology, every resource that was known to him, and his son was still sick at the point of death. And so he had heard about this Jesus who had turned water into wine, who had done other signs uh, and wonders in the city of Jerusalem. And and John told us about that earlier in uh, chapter four. So he makes the 20 to 25 mile hike This is a day and age of walking. He didn't jump on a bus, couldn't get a taxi, didn't go ride his bicycle. He walked that 20 to 25 miles from Capernaum to Cana to go and ask Jesus to heal his son. And the tense for the word asking here indicates that he was basically begging or pleading with Jesus to come and heal his son. And I mentioned an inadequate faith. Jesus' response to this man is what indicates that he had an inadequate or an improper faith. He believed in Jesus as a miracle worker. He had heard about these miracle workers, this whole son of God saving faith stuff. uh, He he wasn't totally sold on that yet, but he believed in the miracle working component of Jesus, which is why he, he came to him. But Jesus desires of people a saving faith. He wants us to believe in him as God's son so that he can meet the most important need in our life, that need of salvation, to place our faith and trust in him, to become God's children so we can experience life with him but also eternity with him. And Jesus responded to him in verse 48 to kind of highlight here that Jesus understood that the faith here of this man and those around was not the proper type of faith. He said, unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe. Now that seems like a pretty callous response. Here's a guy begging and pleading for him to come heal his son. And Jesus says, ah, unless you see a sign and wonder, you're not gonna believe in me. And we go, wow, that's, that's kind of harsh. But see, his faith wasn't a saving faith. It wasn't a pure faith that Jesus wants first. Once we have that saving faith, then he begins to work other things in our lives. The you here is actually plural. So Jesus wasn't just speaking to this man. He was speaking to the crowds and the people that had gathered around because they heard that Jesus was back in town. They knew about the miracles and the signs and wonders. They wanted to come and see another trick. Hey, Jesus, perform another miracle. Let's see you some, do something cool today. You know, what's he gonna do now? So they were there with these wrong motives, with, with this desire to see another sign and wonder. They wanted to see proof before they believed in Jesus. And that is the way of the world. 
the world's approach to, to many issues, even to faith, is that seeing is believing. I mean, is it not? What we think that everything has to be tested by science, explained by logic, or personally experienced. And if something passes those tests, then it can be identified as reality. But that's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches and of what Jesus demonstrated. In John's gospel, Jesus demonstrates over and over again that believing is seeing. Once you believe, then you will see the power and the work and the impact and the difference that God can make in your life. But it starts with that belief first, then God's power is unleashed and released in our lives. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Belief and faith in Christ often means taking Jesus at his word and doing what he commands first so that we can then see his power unleashed and released in our lives. And this official shows us, and I mentioned this already, the most most important thing we learn from this man's life And from his situation is that when you're in a crisis of faith, you need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. This man came a long, long way seeking out Jesus. And the exact opposite is often true in our lives. When we experience a lot of times a crisis or a difficult situation, we're tempted to pull away from God instead of drawing closer to him. I have seen it over and over and over again in ministry. And I constantly tell people when they're at these points of crises, when they're having these difficulties in their life, the exact opposite is what should happen. You need to draw closer to God because you need his strength. You need his wisdom. You need his guidance to get you through and to know what to do in the midst of this situation. Don't pull away from him. The source of what you need, uh, you need to draw closer so he can get you through the situation. But I also tell people, look, you need to draw closer to God because here's the reality of it. Things may not work out the way you want them to work out. You may get a total opposite answer. God may move and do something in the exact polar opposite direction of what you're desiring, what you're praying for, what you're wanting. And in that time, if you've not drawn close to Christ and you're not secure in that relationship and that walk with God to hear him say, I'm in control, I've got this, I'm going to take care of it. You can become angry at God. And I've seen it over and over again. People get angry because it didn't turn out the way they wanted to. God, where are you in this? Why did you do this? God, this isn't what I thought was going to happen. This isn't what I prayed for. This isn't what I thought your word told me was going to happen. And we grow further and further away. You need to be close to God so that in that time, whatever happens in the situation, you can again draw from his strength, his power, his peace, his guidance to help you deal with whatever the outcome of that situation may be. So either way, you need God to get you through it and you need God to help get you past it. Whether it's a positive time and sometimes God does answer affirmatively and we need to celebrate and and we praise the Lord and give thanksgiving, but sometimes it's negatively, but God is still worthy of our praise even in that time. So we need to draw close to him as this man did. And what I love about this guy's story is it's a perfect example of what coming to Christ in a time of crisis can do in your life. This man's faith went from a faith in crisis to a confident faith. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. 
It was believed in that day and time that a miracle worker had to be present to actually perform the miracle because the idea was the power was within this person. So when they got there, they could touch you, they could say whatever or give you something to eat, drink, you know, do whatever, that that power that was within them, they could impart to you if they were there in your presence to actually put it upon you. Now we know because of Jesus' life and from the disciples later, it's never the power within a person. It's the power of God working through a person. So we know that's not the case, but yet that's what was taking place. And this man's nugget of faith had been, if I come to Jesus, he can heal my son. He can do this work, but he believed uh, two wrong things. First, he thought that Jesus had to be there, which is why he said, come down so that you can heal my son. The second thing the man uh, erroneously believed was that if his son died before Jesus arrived, it would be too late. Because he says, before my child dies, thinking that death is the end and there's nothing else that can take place. And as we'll see in John chapter 11 later, that wasn't the case. But here's the awesome part of this story. Jesus takes this man's inadequate, his immature faith, a faith that was looking for simply a miracle, a healing for his son, and Jesus transforms it. He transforms it into a genuine saving faith in himself as the son of God. But Jesus does so by refusing to reinforce the inadequate or the immature faith. Jesus basically says, what you want is not what you need. What you want is not what you need. But if you will trust me to give you what you need then you'll receive my power and experience what you want. You see the difference there? What you want isn't what you need. Let me give you what you need, which is faith in me. Believe in me as God's son. And when you have that faith, then I will accomplish this task. You will see my power work in this situation. And so Jesus says to the man, this is the point where he's gonna have to make a determination about his faith and what he believes about this Jesus. He says in verse 50, go, your son will live. And I can just imagine this man stopping and looking at Jesus and the wheels turning because now he's got a decision to make. He thought Jesus would come with him and do this. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. So now what's he going to do? Is he going to believe Jesus? Is he going to take him at his word? He's probably thinking, well, what if I go back home and my son's not healed? And he said this, then I've made the trip up here and back, spent all this time. My son's deathly ill, almost dead now. Well, what happens if it doesn't work? What if it's not true? What if his power or his words are not true? What if the power isn't there for me to leave? And I think he's wrangling, he's wrestling with what he's going to do. And we find ourselves so very often at that same place in our lives, do we not? Are we gonna trust what God tells us in his word? Not just are we going to trust it, because, oh, yeah, I trust it. I believe it, okay? Then obey it. Put it into practice. Do you know what obedience meant for this man to believe Jesus' words, go, your son will live? It means he would turn, he would walk away from the one man, the one source that he thought he knew could bring this healing. He would turn his back and walk away from him to go and experience and see 
whether or not his power was real and true and right. What do you need to believe Christ for today? Do you need to believe that that God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider? Do you need to believe that God can provide for you? If you do, maybe you need to step out in faith and begin trusting God and making decisions in your life through which God's power can flow and you can see his provision for you. Do you need to believe that God can heal your marriage and restore that relationship or a relationship with a parent or with a wayward child? God can heal that relationship and bring healing and restoration. But you need to trust him and obey him now in order to experience that. And he may lead you to confess. You may need to repent in your life. You may need to offer forgiveness. You may need to seek forgiveness. But God will guide you and direct you in that. But it starts by trusting in him today. You see, the man's dilemma was this. If he was going to see the power of God and see the difference that Jesus could make in Capernaum, he was going to have to believe him there in Cana. And for you to see and experience God doing these things in your life that that you desire, that you've been praying for, you need to believe him now. And you need to trust him now. And you need to begin obeying him now so that his power can begin to work in and through your life. Whatever that need may be in your life, you start by coming to Jesus. And here's the awesome part. When you come to Jesus, he will do the work within you. This man looked at Jesus. He spoke to him. He listened to him. And what he saw In Jesus' eyes, what he heard in his voice caused his heart and his his spirit to gain confidence and to say, I believe you. I believe this man. I believe he can do what he has said he will do. We know that's the case because verse 50, we see how his life was transformed. It says the next sentence, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He believed the word and he went on his way. In a crisis of faith, he came to Jesus and Jesus instilled within him a confident faith. And verse 51 tells us what happened. And this was likely the next day because of that distance uh, with it being later in the day. As we discover later on, it was probably about one in the afternoon when they had this conversation. He wouldn't have had time to walk all the way back to Capernaum. It was way too dangerous to travel at night in that day and time with the bandits that are there. So this man's faith, which had driven him all that way, was now so confident. There was such a peace and security in his life in the words of Christ that he most likely spent the night. He's got a son on his deathbed. He's coming to ask for him to be healed, but now he spends the night away from home. He's so confident and sure of the words and the promise of Christ. But verse 51 says, as he was going down, this is back to Capernaum, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said, yesterday 
There you see, overnight, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Isn't that an amazing picture? As Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. His power was already working to bring about healing and recovery to that young man. But his father had to believe. And he did believe. And as he walked away, his faith and his confidence grew. And when you come to God with a crisis of faith and you take Jesus at his word, he will give you a confident faith. And as your confidence in Christ grows, your faith will then become a contagious faith. It'll be contagious. You can't help. You will desire, you will be so excited about sharing with others what Jesus has done in your life. What a difference he has made in your life. Look at the end of verse 53. It says, and he himself believed. This is now the final culmination of his belief in Christ as God's son. This is saving faith that this man says, yes, now I fully, it's all come together now. This is the son of God, but he doesn't just stop and say, yes, now I believe. I'm so excited I'm going to heaven, so I'm going to sit back, go on autopilot, and just cruise the rest of my life. It says that here in Capernaum, among the Gentiles, it says, and all his household This dad went to everyone he could find in his household, and there's no reason to think that it stopped in his household, but everybody in that city that he encountered, he said, let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me tell you what he has done. He was excited. He was emboldened because of what Jesus had done in his life. And in verse 54, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. It doesn't mean the second sign in general. It means the second one in this region. And this is so awesome. The official came with a belief, with a faith, wanting one thing. He wanted a physical healing for his son. And Jesus took that inadequate faith and he met an even greater need in his life, his spiritual need for a savior. And now this man, this man's son and his entire household wouldn't just have a healthy physical life. They're now going to have a perfect eternal life because of their faith in Christ. Isn't that awesome? When you come to Christ with something, you don't just get what you want. You always get something so much better, so much greater. He wanted a physical healing for his son. He got eternal life for himself and his family and his entire household. Bringing a crisis of faith to Jesus will give you a confident faith, and it will move you to contagiously share that with others. In 2002, I saw this flesh itself out in an awesome way on on perhaps one of the best mission trips I've ever been a part of. We were going uh, to Brazil. I was leading a group of 26 youth and adults to go to Brazil. We were working with world changers, uh, doing a construction project during the day, and then uh, the creative ministry street type evangelism in the evenings. So we left Louisville, Kentucky, and our flight was late there, and we got to Charlotte, North Carolina, and because we were late, we were hustling to get to our flight on to Miami, which would then take us on to Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, so we could continue on to our destination. Well, we got to Charlotte late, and so we're pulling the OJ through the airport, 
Some of you are too young to know what I'm talking about, but others of you know what that is. I mean, we're sprinting, we're flying through this airport terminal, myself and a group of 26, okay? And uh, so we are just moving in mass toward our gate, and it was a classic picture. We arrive at the gate, we see the window, and there's our plane. It's just turned sideways, and it's heading out toward the, the runway for takeoff. It's taxiing out. And it's one of those things, if you've ever been a group leader of that, you've got 26 people all looking at you going, what are we going to do now? You go, we're going to be fine, <laughs> I think. I mean, I was just like, oh, what are we going to do now? So I went to the counter agent and said, okay, here, here's our situation. Gave her the tickets and explained all this. Um, she started making some calls around. I got, got in touch with our travel agent back in Louisville who had booked all this stuff. I said, here's what's going on. He was like, oh, boy. He said, all right, I'm going to start making some calls. He said, but, but you guys really need to pray. He said, this is not going to be easy to try and get you as a group of 26. You may have to very well wind up in small groups and, and go on your way. And I'm just like, oh, this is really going to be bad. So we started praying. And we waited and we prayed and we waited. We had a crisis of faith with this group. And I mean, we were calling out the Lord, Lord Jesus, materialize a plane right here that, you know, just has perfect 26 seats and let our luggage get there and all this. And uh, there, there was much tension. Well, finally, the counter agent paged me. And this lady calls me over, Mr. Barnes, and, and uh, says, okay, here's what I've got. She said, I can get you on a plane to Toronto. <laughs> and I was like, you know... It's been a long time since I've been into geography class, but Canada's above the United States, and we're going to go to Brazil down by the equator, which is below. We're going the wrong way here. And before I could, you know, uh, share my geographical prowess, she said, and in Toronto, we can get you on an Air Canada flight that will take you to San Paulo. And I was like, oh, okay. So well, hold on a second. So I get the, the workers around, and I, I call the guy in Louisville on the way over and say, all right, here's what you've got. You, you got a better deal. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, that's a long way, a lot, of, a lot of flights to do that. And when I told the agent in Louisville, he stopped. There was a stunned silence on the other end of the phone. He said, wow. He said, God must really have some awesome things in store for you guys in Brazil. He said, she didn't have to go above and beyond and do that. He said, she has switched airlines, which is almost unheard of. He said, and she really only had an obligation to get you to Miami. He said, what I've been trying to do is get you to Miami so we could work on the next uh, leg to get you on down to Sao Paulo. He said, man, God must really have some neat things in store. You guys need to take this flight and you'll be there just a few hours behind. So I went back and shared with the group what was taking place, and this crisis faith started to become a confident faith. We're like, wow, look at what, we were moving as a group. We weren't breaking up. Now as one group, we were going to stay together, go the wrong direction, but then still get there. And so, man, we're really building some confidence that God's going to do some neat things this week, but God wasn't finished yet. We finally arrived in San Paulo, and we had missed our flight from there on into our final destination. And at this point in time, about 2002, it was in the top, 10 largest cities in the world. I think San Paulo is about seven right now. I mean, millions and millions of people. So we were going to have to spend the night. We're going to leave the airport, get out in the city, go spend a night, and then come back the next day and catch the second flight. We didn't speak a lick of Portuguese. I mean, not the first word of Portuguese. And so the lady at the airline makes a hotel reservation for us, and she calls some cab drivers, these vans, to come and pile. We had two vans to pile 26 people in. So there you go, uh, safety laws in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So we pile in. And they take us to the hotel, and uh, we discovered later, doing some different research and finding out some things, that in Sao Paulo, at that point, about 8 or 9 million people in the city, less than 1% of the population were professing born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you know it, that it just so happened 
that in this city of eight to nine million people, less than 1% of born-again believers, one of our van drivers was a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. God sent us a brother in Christ who found at our plight what was going on, who took and made sure we were so cared for that day. Got us to the hotel, took us out, got us, you know, dinner that night, got, made sure that we were back safely, told us, you know, where to not be out, you know, that night, and then picked us up the next day, got us back to the airport. God worked out every detail in that transportation. And I want to tell you that week, I didn't have to motivate that group to do anything at all. Over and over again, I heard from people how amazed they were at what God was accomplishing through that group of youth and adults. We were a day short because we arrived late, yet we almost doubled the amount of work that they wanted to get done in the construction project. When we were out on the streets and we were out doing our evangelism and and partnering with the local ministries there, and those kids and those adults were everywhere. And people like, man, they got such great attitude, such great hearts. I hadn't done anything. God had given them this contagious faith by working out these details, and they were so excited to tell others about the goodness of this God. And I want you to know that that same power, that same God who worked out those details in our crisis, he wants to work in your life today. And whatever element, whatever nugget of faith is there, God wants to take that faith. He wants to transform it into a saving, into a powerful faith so that you can know you can trust him regardless of what may be taking place in your life today. I don't know if you're in a crisis of faith this morning or not. Maybe you're not in a crisis, but maybe just that that passion and that zeal isn't where it needs to be. You may not be where you would like to be in your faith journey. You need what the official needed. You need to come to Jesus. You need to allow him to speak into your life. You need to trust him, and then you need to obey him. And regardless of where you may be, Jesus will increase your confidence in him and and, and motivate you to share him with others. But if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and your trust in Christ as, this, as this, this official hadn't, John says, I've written these things so that you may believe and that my believing you may have life in his name. Today, would you come and experience that full and abundant life on earth, but that gift of eternal life that Jesus offers as well?